Good morning, warm greetings to one and all in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Warm greetings from Calvary Pandan BP Church. I'd like to thank your pastor and your session and all of you for the kind invitation to be able to come and share with you God's word. It is always an honor and a privilege to share God's word with God's people. This morning, we shall focus on the topic, your response to hard sayings. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, his return, before the Antichrist could be revealed, Christianity will fall away, which means during the final moments of one particular generation of Christians, that generation that will need not experience death, they will experience the rapture. Christianity would fall away, which means it is very momentous and perilous. There will be many different types of gospels that will be preached making the true gospel very difficult to find. Because when Christianity that has now spread all over the world has fallen, turned apostate, that means their generation will listen to the gospel. They might think that it is the gospel that saves, but actually they are still in sin. They are still bound for hell. And if they were to die, they are going to get the rudest shock of their lives when they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ will say to them, and Jesus said there will be many, I have prophesied in your name, God. I have done miracles and cast out demons. And Jesus, without hesitation, will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. And he will immediately be cast into hell. Many will end up in that judgment. Now, if you were to look at these signs that Jesus Christ said, that many will claim, I have prophesied in thy name. That includes people who preach from the pulpit. That includes the charismatic movement where many of them have restored what they called the ministry of prophets. And as you know, the charismatics are the number one claimants of miracles, casting out demons in our time. And there are how many charismatics are there in the world according to statistics on Google? 600 million. The Roman Catholics also claim to have miracles because that's how the church will make certain individual saints. They must have done certain miracles, and the people would have seen so-called miracles. Is this not the period of the last days where we see the face of Christianity turning apostate? In other words, when you look at yourself, if you are in your 20s and 30s, very, very likely, my opinion, you will be that generation that will live during the second coming of Christ. Is it good news to you or not? 
Now you and I know that there was a generation that lived during the first coming of Christ, and that's what we are going to focus on. The gospel basically described for us a generation that lived through the first coming of Christ. The early chapters of the book of Acts describe for us a very unique generation of believers who lived during the first coming of Christ and they will continue to live and serve the Lord after the ascension of Christ, very much like us. For us, we live during the period after the ascension of Christ. But there will be a generation, most likely this generation, you will live through the second coming of Christ. The question is, how will he look at you? How will the Lord Jesus Christ treat you? Because in this passage, the Bible tells us many therefore of his disciples. Now these are basically followers of Christ. This is where we get the English word martyrs. Witnesses. So this is about people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In that context, it's literal, physical, because Jesus was still walking on earth. They followed him because they heard of his amazing miracles. Everyone who was sick, regardless of what kind of sickness, whether it was very severe or not, he healed them. They heard about the miracles of the feeding of the 5,000. All sorts of miracles of healing, casting out devils, and you will read later on about those who Jesus raised from the dead. Lazarus, one of them. And so there were throngs of people following the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere he went. They followed. Of course, Jesus Christ did not step outside of the promised land. He ministered from Jerusalem down south, and he went all the way up north to Galilee. And people from outside of Israel also came. And so there are accounts of the Syrophoenician woman. They are from the north, Syria. They also came. They were sick. They heard of Jesus Christ in Galilee, very near where they lived. Why not? Based upon what they heard, they came and they were healed. That generation, many of them stopped work. Whatever they used to do, they didn't even bother because this man was unique and special. They have never seen such an individual before. And so everything else in their lives, businessmen, whatever trade, farmers, shepherd, whatever trade you used to hold, they just dropped everything and followed him. Everywhere he went, he got into a ship, they also wanted to follow he sailed from one point of the Sea of Galilee to the other side. They also followed. They could not have enough of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, Jesus taught something that they commented. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this. Now, we're going to look at what they heard. And then they make this comment. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who has the power to accept what they have just heard? Now, that's what it means. Now, when you look at the Bible and you use your electronic concordance, you will find that you type the word hard. There will be other passages that talk about hard to 
understand. That means you may understand the teaching that was taught to you, but it is very hard to understand that doctrine. For example, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. I can teach you from one passage that highlights for us the sovereignty of God, that God is absolutely sovereign and all-powerful. He controls everything in heaven and on earth. No sunbeam would ever shine without His permission. No drop of rain would fall without His say-so. And then another passage will talk about human responsibility. It's in every one of us are responsible for every minute, every second of your life on earth. Every word that comes out of your mouth, every motive that you have in your heart, you are held responsible. And yet at the same time, whatever you say, whatever you do, it is always within the absolute domain of God's sovereignty. Then if I'm under God's domain and God knew everything I say even before I said it, then how come I'm still held responsible for all the evil and all the wicked and all the terrible things I say and did? But that's the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And Spurgeon said they are like two parallel lines. You don't try to reconcile them. The moment that you try, you're going to come up with an error. But we know that these two parallel lines will never cross on earth, but they will meet in God's throne of grace and mercies. Spurgeon's observation, absolutely accurate. Very hard to understand. We just simply have to accept it impossible to reconcile. There are passages that are like that. And then there are other passages where it is hard to interpret. Very difficult. You look at the syntax, you look at the grammar. Now these are all terms that are found in the Bible. I didn't make them up. And in English, they are translated in that phrase, in that manner. Hard to interpret, hard to understand. But in Greek, it's only one word. It's a compound word but you can't use one single English word to interpret it, translate it. And so they use a phrase, hard to understand, hard to interpret. But this word, hard sayings. Now I'm sure you know the meaning of the English word, sclerosis. It's a disease, it's a sickness. You do not want to suffer from this terrible disease, hardening of the flesh, sclerosis. That's the word. Now you notice who made that comment. They just heard the teaching, the saying of Jesus. The disciples said that when I listen to your teaching, Jesus, my heart is hardening. Now, this is something that is not a good sign, isn't it? We thought that the Word of God is supposed to turn a stony heart into a heart of flesh. But when these disciples, plural, when they heard his teaching, they said that the more I listen to you, Jesus, my heart is getting harder and harder. That means they resist. They don't want to believe. So this hardening is not good. It's a spiritual sickness and disease. It's dangerous, in fact. Because if you teach a Baptist 
the doctrine of infant baptism. The more you teach him, the more you teach him, the more he resists, the more he resists. It's like, you know, a farmer... When I was in national service, I experienced a farmer's son in my platoon. It took us A-level students. I mean, we finished our A-level and we joined the army and we have to go to field camp and we have to dig a fox truck, uh, 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 those holes, fox hole. The taller you are, the deeper you have to dig it because you're going to put sand back and then you're going to Make sure that you are standing upright position to fire the rifle at your enemies. Part of training. And our hands are very tender. I mean, we only hold pens, right? We are students all our lives. And so we bought gloves. And so we put on our gloves, hold on to the chanko, and we start. And then just across to the other side. I noticed these two young men, they finished the entire thing. Even before we finish half the depth of the foxhole that we're supposed to dig. And then I was a busy body and I walked over and I looked. The wall was straight. It was near perfection. It was beautiful actually. It was so nice. Actually, I can make a home based upon how they did it. And I said, how come you finish so fast? How come you can do it so nicely and you're, you're not wearing even any gloves? And then with our gloves on, halfway through, we can see blister forming. These are all baby hands, you know what I mean? We look after them well. You see, just now I just put some nice cream because it's so dry. They say, we are farmers. My parents are farmers. We have been digging this all our lives. And can you show me your hands? Thick calluses. You shake their hands, you feel like it's shaking some kind of sandpaper hand. They don't feel anything, no pain, nothing. Have you been doing this all our life? That's why we can finish it so quickly. It's easy for us. Calluses. Every time you try to tell a Baptist, infant baptism, the definition of baptism in the Bible is more than just simply a believer's baptism. You have the infant baptism which is based upon covenant theology. Just like circumcision, you have Abraham circumcised when he was 99 years old, believer circumcision, and then you have Isaac circumcised eight days old, you have infant circumcision, just like you have infant baptism, and they are parallel, and you teach them again and again. Every time they reject, one dead layer of skin covers their heart. Their heart is becoming like sclerosis. But that's only with doctrine of baptism. Will they lose their salvation? Definitely not. It's only the understanding of receiving the blessing of God, the relationship with God in terms of their family, the covenant part, they will miss out. That spiritual blessing. But they will not uh, end up being cast out of hell if they actually believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because that doctrine concerning baptism of infants does not pertain to salvation. But when you look at the preceding verses of what Jesus Christ said, verse 53, Verily I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This literally means 
if you do not begin to eat the flesh of Jesus Christ, and if you do not begin to drink his blood, you have absolutely no life in you, continually. Whoso eateth my flesh, doesn't matter who you are, multitude, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. That means no matter what kind of sin you may have committed, no matter how heinous, you could be as evil as Hitler murdering six million Jews. If you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, eternal life will be given to you. I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus says, I for emphasis. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. He lives in me, that means they no longer see him, they only see me. And because I live in him, helping him to accomplish that, that's the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. As the living Father has sent me, and this word sent means sent on a mission, and what was the mission? To be the Savior of the world. And I live by the Father, so, that, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your father did, fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And that was a saying that they called hard. It caused a layer of dead skin to form around their heart. So your response to hard saying, please understand the word hard in inverted commas. In other words, is the gospel of Jesus Christ a hard saying to you? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ categorized under that category that are found in other passages of the Bible called hard to understand, hard to interpret? Or is it a problem of hard to accept? This passage in John 6, the hardness that they say, hard saying, actually reveals the true hardness. And where is the true hardness? Is it a saying that is hard? Or is it the hard condition of the disciples? See, sometimes we fail to identify the problem. And very often we blame others. You know, there was an incident in the gospel where this person who was sick, a lady, if Jesus Christ, you would hear my brother would be healed. The question is not if Jesus were here. If you would believe your brother would be healed. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Whether he's here or not here, he can heal, right? He doesn't have to be physically present to heal. He is omniscient, omnipresent. So when you ask the wrong question, if you are here, Lord, no, the question is, if you believe your brother would be healed, not if I were present or not present. Just sometimes we focus on the wrong issue. The disciples here focus on the wrong issue. The hardness is not the saying. The hardness is your heart. And unless you and I recognize the source of the problem, you're not going to repent and 
made right. And your life will continue to head in the wrong direction. You know how many times I've heard of people leaving Calvary Pandan Church? Quite a number. And sadly, during this pandemic, quite a number, not quite a number, some have left. Thank God there are not many. The few that have left. And before that, of course, there are a lot of people leaving the church. And usually, most of the time, since I have not interviewed all of them, most of the time, the scapegoat is the pastor. They will find some reason to blame. Definitely not themselves. And usually it is either the preaching or the teaching. We don't like him to emphasize this and that. And there was one time the person left the church because I mentioned certain names of his friends. He didn't like it. The sin of the friend was public knowledge. Everybody knows it's just that. He didn't want or he didn't like me to mention it. And so he left Pandan and he went to a church that believes the Bible has mistakes. But what exactly is the true reason for his departure? Is it because I mentioned the name of this friend of his, which is already a public knowledge? Or is it because he believed the Bible has mistakes? Because now you are attending a church. Every Sunday if you go, he, the church continues to bombard you with the notion that God makes mistakes and you are fine with it. So what exactly is the real reason? Angry with me or angry with God? Because it's God's word. Now unless you are honest with yourself, unless these disciples are going to be honest with themselves and they continue to blame the Lord, why is your teaching so hard? Their heart will continue to suffer sclerosis. And Jesus said, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? See, he understood. Does this scandalize you? That's the word scandalize. That's the word offend. Scandalous. Does this scandalize the understanding of discipleship? You are following me because of your stomach. You follow me because you have tasted miracle food. You follow me because you like to see miracles. I mean, we are curious people. You have magicians who can make a lot of money just simply practicing magic acts. We are curious people. And Jesus Christ are real miracles. Casting out demons, healing all kinds of diseases. Blind people started to see. Lame people started to walk and run as if they had been walking and running all their lives. Curious. So they're following Jesus for all the carnal reasons. And then when the Lord Jesus Christ now taught them something spiritual, they began to say, no. Hard sayings. Where is the hardness? Is it the saying that is hard or is it your heart that is hard? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. A hard saying to you. You don't want it. You want to be a Christian because today to be a Christian is no longer stigmatic. You know, there's no stigma in it most of the time, of course, in many countries, especially Western countries. You wear on your, around your neck a very expensive platinum, golden, whatever, precious metal cross. You take pride. 
You think Christianity is what? Prestigious? A status symbol that you wear this cross and some of us even put it at the back of our vehicle. No more a problem. It's more like a fashion statement to be called a Christian. And some of us even take pride in the fact that I'm a Christian. I'm a Bible Presbyterian Christian. But do you put any condition in following the Lord Jesus Christ? Or was it an unconditional surrender at the very beginning? These disciples had conditions. They only liked certain aspects of Jesus' ministry. Other aspects, they found it a problem and they call it heart saying. And Jesus Christ, did I just scandalize you? Did I just stumble you? Offend you? The gospel must begin with sin. Have you ever tell someone, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will go to heaven? Because you know that if you were to start with the sin, you know that you are a sinner. If you die in your sin, you end up in hell. You know how many sins you have committed against God. You know the worst sin that you could ever commit against God is not adultery, nor the lying, nor the killing. Do you know that? Oh, they are part of the Ten Commandments. I agree. But that's not the sin that God hates the most. You know, prior to the Ten Commandments, when a person commits adultery, the person knows that he has sinned against the husband of the woman you committed adultery with. I lied to you, I cheated you of a hundred dollars. I sinned against you, I cheated you of a hundred dollars, so you lost a hundred dollars. That's it. I did not know that when I sinned against you, when I committed adultery, I'm also sinning against God. Until the Ten Commandments came, then they found out. Then to their horror, even though I make right with you, how am I going to make right with God now? Right? I can apologize to the husband, beg for mercy, and the husband say, all right, I forgive you. Don't ever do that again. If you consult with his wife, fine. I pay you $100 plus $10 interest. You want 20% or a $20 interest, we are fine. But the moment the Ten Commandments came, now, what can I give to God now? Nothing. So my sin against you, indirectly, is now a sin against God. But when you look at the first four of the Ten Commandments, they are not transgressions against man. You know that, right? When I bow down to idol, it doesn't offend you. I didn't hurt you. It's a direct transgression against God. The bottom six. Indirect transgression against God, direct transgression against you. And of course, the human people that God put on the list as number one is this, did not honor your father and your mother. That's number one. Out of the six, that's the first one. But the first four, all transgressions against God. In other words, idolatry. Idolatry is a sin that God hates the most. You see that in the whole book of Kings. First and second, they are one book. Right from the very beginning, idolatry had always been the greatest problem that plagued the nation of Israel for a few hundreds of years. As a direct sin against God. You love your children more than God, that's idolatry. You may not have a physical three-dimensional idol in your home, 
But anyone that is more important to you than God, anyone that causes you to disobey the word of God so, so that you can please that individual, that's idolatry. Do you know that? And so when you begin the gospel, you have to preach sin. You tell them, believe in Jesus Christ, go to heaven. Who doesn't want it? Sure, tell me. Right, you pray this prayer and you will go to heaven. You know that that is an incomplete gospel, very, very close to another gospel whereby you could be anathema, cursed by God. Because the person's belief, the reason the person believed in Jesus Christ is so that he could go to heaven, not for the real reason why Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins. Therefore, you have to talk about sin. You have to tell the person that you are a sinner against God, a very great sinner against God. You are an idolater before God. And you have to demonstrate that to him, especially if you know his life. Tell him. But he will be offended. What do you think Jesus Christ just did? Are you offended? Please understand that you and I, before salvation, we are an offense to God. God called us his enemies. We are an offense. Are you not? Were you not? Or should I use present tense? Still an offense, like these disciples. It's this gospel that I just shared with you. It's just only the beginning. A heart saying to you, the moment you reject, a layer of dead skin has now covered your heart. That's sclerosis. And the more you come to this church, the more the gospel is preached, the more you resist another layer, another layer, and like the farmer's hand, they can't feel anything anymore. Oh, that's the gospel. Ah, yeah, never mind. I just ignore it. Layers and layers until your heart is hardened. That's the danger of coming to a sound church where the gospel is preached again and again and again. Jesus did not want these disciples who followed him for all the carnal reasons to end up dying in sin and end up in hell when they're so close to heaven. They're so close to the Savior, they can see him. They can touch him. But they don't believe him. Every time you come to a sound biblical church, please understand, whenever the word of God is preached or taught, you are basically brought into the very entrance of the pearly gate into heaven. That's what it means. Because this is not the voice of man. This is the voice of God. It may be my voice, my tone, but they are not my words. They are not your pastor's words. They are the very word of God himself. If I were to read to you the Ten Commandments in Hebrew, It's my voice. It's not God's voice. But it will be exactly the same as if the people of Israel heard God speaking from Mount Sinai. Same words. Of course, I do not have his authority. If I were to read to you in Hebrew, do you know that? Every time you listen to preaching and teaching, do you receive it as the word of man or as the very word of God? You disagree. Oh, I disagree with you, pastor. Are you sure you're disagreeing with the pastor or with God? 
You know, when Samuel was at the end of his ministry and the people of Israel told him, we don't want you, your son, to be a judge anymore. We, ju we want to have a king. And Samuel was so downcast. He felt rejected. And then he went to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me. Those were the best complimentary words that Samuel could have heard from God to encourage his heart in his evening years. That means God was basically saying to Samuel, Samuel, all this while when you've been serving me since you were a boy till now when you are an elderly man, you have been preaching my word, doing my deed. And therefore, when they reject you, please understand that they are not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Now, if Samuel had been preaching his ideas, Samuel's opinions, and then they said, we don't want you anymore, Samuel. And then the Lord said, yes, who asked you to preach opinion, Samuel? Now they say, no, what, they don't want you. But God did not say that to Samuel. God said, they have rejected me, implying, you have been preaching my word all this while. And when they don't listen, you be encouraged. You be faithful and keep preaching my word. But they have to understand that when they do not listen to you and obey you, they must know that they are not listening and obeying Samuel, but me, Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that's why the Lord has said to them, Have I offended you? Have I? Jesus says, You want to follow me, you must begin to eat me. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus, of course, is not talking about cannibalism. Christianity must not be something that you can do without. It is not an appendix. It is not a fashion. Christianity is the very life of your existence. That's what it means. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, just like you eat food and drink water. You don't eat food, you drink, drink water, you die, you have no life. So Jesus Christ basically said, Christianity must be internalized. It must be in your very bottom of your heart, your very being. You must think Christ. You must eat Christ. You wake up, you think of Christ. You go to sleep before you lay down and close your eyes. Into, as you enter into dreamland, the last thought is Christ. The moment you wake up, Christ. You go to work, Christ. You go to school to study, Christ. You stand in the kitchen cooking and preparing your food, Christ. Christ, 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 Christ. That's what it means. It is not an appendix where I feel like it, alright, I put it on. Now I'm a Christian. And then when I don't like it, I take it off. No longer a Christian. I behave like a carnal person, I speak carnal things. You can't do that. Jesus says, I don't want this kind of disciples. I do not have this kind of disciples. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, in the last days, are you going to be one of them? Jesus says, Not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So Jesus Christ now described this passage this different way by saying, You know what it means to eat me and drink me? He is the same as someone who obeys every jot and tittle of my word. And in order to obey my word, you have to study my word. You're going to take time and put it as your priority to study my word. Just like you eat every morning, noon and night, you have to eat my food, study my Bible every day. And if you don't, how are you going to obey what you don't even know? 
Jesus Christ says, when you become a Christian, I gave you my mind. Now that you can understand the Bible, which is now your mind that is still filled with the ideas and knowledge of the world at the point of your salvation. But now you must now spend every day studying my word so that you can now fill the mind of Christ with the knowledge of Christ. Because now I've given you the mind of Christ, which is still filled with the knowledge of the world. If you don't do that, and you find the Bible very hard to understand, is it a problem with hard sayings or hardened heart? Which is it? If you still want to stubbornly conclude that it is a hard saying, fine, blame Christ. But you understand the consequence. You look into your own heart, you blame yourself. That is the beginning of change, isn't it? That's the beginning of repentance and salvation. Did Jesus Christ not tell us in the Beatitude, the first Beatitude, blessed are the bankrupt in spirit, poor in spirit, the word poor there is beggarly, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's why you go to preach sin. That's the only reason why Jesus Christ came, to die for sinners like you and me. But that is offensive. It's supposed to offend because we have offended God. We have offended God. That's what idolatry is. We have committed idolatry again and again and again. And on top of that, we have the sin that we inherited from Adam. The sinful nature, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are born and found in every baby. And if you do not take care, parents, Please understand, when your children grow up, they are already predisposed to hear the voice of the devil with the lust of them, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life already in them. And if you do not give them an alternative and hear the voice of Christ, the only voice they're going to hear will be of the devil. And when they grow up and they continue to embrace the world of the devil, that's the world out there, should you be shocked and surprised? You did not give them an alternate voice, which is the voice of Christ, that is the Bible. How do you, what do you expect them to do? The only voice they hear is the devil's voice from the school teachers and from the friends and from the world out there, from the internet and from whatever they are bombarded with. That's the voice of the devil. But your home is supposed to be a Christian home where the voice of Christ is supposed to be taught. And to every sinner, it's supposed to challenge them, offend them, let them realize and understand and don't blame the heart saying, blame your own hardened heart. Because that's the beginning. If you refuse to accept that you have a hardened heart, you're not going to soften it. Because the way to soften it, Jesus says from verse 62 to 65, you can soften the hardness. First, you've got to accept the hardness. Second, do you want it to be softened? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? You want to see that? You want to see all this miracle? You want to see my ascension? You want to see the resurrected Christ going up to heaven? Of course, this is a rhetorical question. I mean, this morning when your pastor taught about the resurrection, you realize that Jesus Christ in all his appearances, and if you were to count them, there will be about 15 of them. And he only appeared to believers. He never appeared at any time to unbelievers. 
because the believers already had faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. He needed to appear to them to strengthen their faith because the apostles had to start a new ministry, which is the church ministry. It will be a very difficult ministry because when you study the book of Acts, very soon after they started, persecution followed. And so the appearance of the resurrected Christ was to strengthen and deepen their faith for the purpose of the difficult ministry of starting the church. The moment Jesus Christ appeared to the world in his glorified body, you know what happened. The clouds will open, he will ride on a white horse, and then he will appear, and then if the whole world shouts, Hosanna, save me! Jesus Christ says to you on that day, I'm not here to save you anymore. The moment he appeared in the clouds of glory as the glorified Christ, Salvation is not going to be by salvation. Oh, I want to believe in Jesus. Now I see you in your glory. Jesus says, I'm here to judge you. I'm now appearing as the judge of judges, kings of kings, king of kings, lord of lords. I'm not here to save you anymore. I came to save you as a suffering Messiah. Now I'm coming as a conquering Messiah. Whatever state and condition you are in, the moment I appear, you're going to be that state and condition for eternity. If you're a child of God and appear, you're going to be a child of God forever. If I appear and you be a sinner condemned, you're going to be a sinner and condemned in your evil, in your wicked forever and ever. That's the second coming of Christ. And that's what verse 62 says. You want to see all this? See my ascension? Then you believe Jesus, that's not going to happen. He showed it to his disciples. You saw that in Acts 1 to encourage them to strengthen their faith. But you are not a believer. What you must do now is to believe not by seeing all these things, but by faith. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. You see, all these physical, material things, they profit you nothing if your heart is not quickened. The words, that is the preach word, that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You listen to what I tell you. My words, that's the focus. Stop focusing on the miracles that you are following me for. You follow me because you believe in what I have taught you. And what did Jesus Christ say basically in summary? Jesus Christ came and started his ministry at of 30. We know Jesus Christ is omniscient, omnipresent and omnipotent. And of these three amazing characteristics and attribute of Jesus, the only attribute that the people could see and conclude that he is God is to demonstrate his omnipotence. There is no need for him to demonstrate his omniscience. He can tell them, well, when I'm standing here, you know what's happening in Australia? But the people are not in Australia to authenticate what Jesus Christ said. But his omnipotence, they can see. Surrounded by storm, heavy wind and Turbulent waves. Strong wind. Turbulent wave. Jesus Christ said, peace, be still. And that's it. Suddenly the strong wind disappeared. The wave just calmed. Sea of Galilee became like a mirror. He just showed to them, I am the creator. Because the only voice creation listened to is the creator, not yours, not mine. All the miracles were to show them that he is God. And he said by his teaching, he who has seen me has seen God the Father. I and my Father are one. You believe all these words? 
my preaching. I and my Father are one. You see me, you see God the Father. To know me is to know God the Father. But that requires faith. The miracles to see Jesus Christ heal the blind man, that's by sight. That's what Jesus Christ says. The flesh, all these things that you want to see with your eyes, they profit nothing. Thank God for that, isn't it? Because if Jesus Christ says, you must see all this before you can profit, that means before you can have salvation, then we are done. Because Jesus Christ is not walking on earth for us to see all his miracles anymore. If he had said, everyone who believes must see me, then we are finished. We cannot be saved. Thank God Jesus Christ said they are nothing. They profit nothing. They do not contribute to your salvation. They may assist you, but they do not contribute at all. In other words, you don't have to see me actually feeding the 5,000 to become a Christian. You don't have to physically see me heal the blind before you become a Christian. You thank God for that, don't you? All you need to do is to listen to my word, that's the Bible, and believe. Because they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. I pray verse 64 does not apply to this church here this morning. I pray and hope that you do not have a sclerosis heart. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. And who should betray him? Because Jesus knows. We don't. But we are not important, isn't it? I do not hold the keys to heaven and hell. Jesus does. So it is important that he knows what kind of heart you have this morning. And he is present with us. And he is now reading everyone's heart. And through this passage of the Bible, he wants you to know this morning that he knows what kind of heart condition you have. What kind of heart condition you had when you entered this morning. And if it is hardened, it doesn't have to remain hardened. It can be transformed by Him. It can be changed. Because He said, verse 65, Therefore said I unto you, No man can come unto me, except it were given unto him by my Father. Now, when you look at the phrase, in what they say, who can hear it? And then Jesus answered, no man can come to me. Now you and I know that the word hear is more than just listening, right? When they say who can hear it, they imply who can obey it, who can do it, who can really actually come to Jesus. Because the same word, can, is where we get the word dynamite. Same with the question, who can hear it? Who has the dynamite? Who has the power to hear it? Well, Jesus Christ in verse 65 answered them. Therefore said I unto you, no man can have the power to hear me, to come to me, except it was given to him. What is given to him? What is the it? Except it was given to him. Now what exactly do you and I need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's faith, isn't it? So the word it there in the last part of verse 65, except it were given unto him of my father, which is faith. Unless God gives us the faith 
none of us have the power to believe. Now, during a responsive reading, I'm not sure whether you remember, no man cometh to God the Father. No, not one, not a single one, which is true. We are dead in sin. We are spiritually blind and spiritually dead. How can a dead person make himself come alive? Literally, impossible. He can't. How can a person who is blind operate on, on his own eyes to make himself see, right? It's impossible. So does that mean, well, now you see, that's why I cannot believe because it's God's fault. God did not give me the faith to believe. You are right. You have to believe by faith and the faith is from God. Do you know who can accept this teaching? only after you are born again. In other words, you cannot blame God, you know. See, that's another danger of coming to a sound biblical church. You hear the truth, and then when the Bible tells us, you know, even the faith we believe is a gift from God, which is true, so that no man can boast, because every part of our salvation, every aspect of our salvation, every stitch of the garment of our salvation is from God. Not a single stitch of our garment of salvation has been contributed by us. That means even the ability to believe and receive the gospel was a gift from God, which is true. Jesus emphasized this. The apostle Paul taught it in the epistles again and again and again. But as an unbeliever, if you want to use this as an excuse to blame God, you see, why I can't believe in Jesus? Because God, you didn't give me the faith. Have you ever heard this foolishness before? The doctrine that God is the one who gave us the faith, the doctrine that God is the one who gave us the garment of salvation, every stitch of it was from heaven to us, is to help us understand the importance of humility, is to understand the assurance of salvation. If one stitch of the garment of salvation is contributed by us, we have no assurance. You and I know how weak we are. One moment we feel so spiritual, so strong in Christ. And the next moment, it doesn't have to be even half an hour. We could feel so lousy and so horrible. Am I really born again? You want your salvation to depend on your yo-yo faith? Your yo-yo belief? One moment so high, next moment so low? That's why thank God that every stitch of the garment of salvation that I received from God all came from Him in Christ. That's why we can have the assurance of salvation. That's why the Bible tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But if we contributed to our own salvation, then how can God conclude nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus and me? If it's and you and me or me, we are finished. Because you and I know how frail we are. You and I know how weak we are. You and I know how we struggle with our faith. That's what the Lord says, every stitch is from me. But for an unbeliever, for someone who has a hardened heart, and you use this amazing blessing that God gave to us, this amazing truth that God gave to us to encourage us and to use as an excuse to reject Christ, you would be the greatest fool on earth. To be brought so close to the pearly gates of heaven, and all you need to do is to open the door of heaven and to step in by believing and you refuse and you blame God 
you did not give me the ability to believe. All you need is to believe. And the moment you believe and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior who died for your sins, rose from the dead for your justification, the moment you believe, the moment you enter in, and then you look back at the door, the pearly gates, and you will know that every stitch of the garment of salvation, even the ability to believe, is from God. But once you're on the other side, the outside, you look at the door, believe and you will be safe. Once you enter, you look back. God gave you the faith to believe. But once you're outside, don't use what is inside as an excuse not to enter in. You will make yourself the greatest fool so close to heaven and still be cast into hell. You would be like those who helped Noah build the ark. I'm sure Noah did not build the ark on his own. It took a hundred years to build it. I'm sure he had a lot of laborers, three floors, this dimension. To pitch it, that means to make it waterproof inside and outside. Designed to float, not designed to sail anywhere because it's not shot. It's box-like. All they needed to do was to float. And they made and they make and they make and they make everything. And I'm sure Noah would have probably paid them money. Right? You work. Did they know the ark? Inside out. Every nook and corner, surely, they know exactly this level, how many square feet. That level, how many square feet. This corner, that corner, every part of it. But did they enter? No. You may know so much about the Christian faith. You know about the facts. You know about how many stones David had when he swung one stone and hit Goliath on the head. You know about the size of Goliath, nine feet plus tall, how heavy his spear was, how heavy his shield. You know everything, so many facts about the Bible. You know about how Jesus Christ walked on water, how God helped Joshua to cross the river Jordan, how Moses with a template. You know so many facts of the Bible, like the workers who helped Noah know so much about the ark, but you're not inside. What's the point of knowing so much about the Bible, but you are not in Christ and Christ is not in you? What's the point? So close to heaven and still cast into hell. Isn't that tragic? Is that what you want for your eternity? So close to heaven and end up gnashing in your teeth because you've been cast into hell later on to the lake of fire to be tormented and to be burned when wave and wave of fire and brimstone calls over your soul and then all you do is to gnash your teeth and in pain and in pain and in pain and fill your heart with regret. I over only I have believed, if only I have crossed, if only I have accepted. And they will haunt you forever and ever and ever so close to heaven, but not in heaven. Do you want that? Why? Is the world so beautiful? The world is so sinful, so wicked and so ugly. And the only safety for yourself and for your children is in Christ. You know that. I'm sure you know that by now. Not in your bank account, not in your monetary inheritance, not in the education, not in whatever fanciful job they're going to hold. In Christ is the only safety they're going to have. And you can't share that with them with conviction if you are not in it yourself. And that's why the Lord showed them. 
All you need to do is to believe. Would you? And so we have the appeal, verse 66 to 69. Because from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now you choose the result, the reaction, the response this morning. You're going to respond like the many in verse 66. Now many, majority. Another example in the Bible of majority is wrong. Do you want to follow? You want to follow majority? Then you walk away. Then you keep coming Sunday after Sunday and let the word of God lay another layer of dead skin around your heart again and again and again until the Lord returns. We will still welcome you to the church. But the Lord Jesus Christ will not welcome you into heaven. Because you still find it very hard. But the hardness is not the same. The hardness is your heart. And unless you accept that and recognize that before the Lord Jesus Christ, not before us, it's between you and the Lord even right now. Or else you're going to walk away. Or else you're not going to return. Follow him no more. Have you not seen that? This church is a very strange BP church. You know why is it strange? Because when I survey all the BP churches in Singapore and those BP churches that I know in other parts of Australia, in Sydney, in Melbourne, in Brisbane, in Adelaide, not a single one of them had gone through what you've gone through in terms of the split and the split and the split and the split. This church had been attacked internally more than any BP church in the world that I know of. Do you know that? That means... You guys must be doing something right for the devil to disturb you so many times, isn't it? Right? There must be some reason why the devil picked on this church. We're not talking about enemies from outside trying to attack you. We're talking about from within. Not a single BP church had your history. Do you know that? And yet, amazingly, this is still the bastion in Perth, BP, in Perth where the church continues to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints after so many assaults of the devil. In other words, if there is a single BP church that could be most thankful and grateful to the Lord for His mercy, it has to be you. It has to be you. Because you have experienced so much. Why do you want to walk away from the Lord? So many have, right? Will you react and respond like them? Or like Simon Peter? Will you also go away? And the emphasis is on ye. Will ye also go away? And then Simon Peter spoke on behalf of them. All right, of course, the Lord knows who will betray him, and that's Judas. Judas will still hang around. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Amazing. To Simon Peter, the saying of the Lord Jesus Christ, instead of calling it sclerosis, like the many who left and follow him no more, 
Peter heard it? Same word, okay? The word, words there is not logos. That's written. This is preached word. Jesus, basically, by his inspiration, recorded this incident for us. Why is it that the many who heard it, they found it offensive? Why was it that when Simon Peter heard it, he concluded, words of eternal life, it gave me life. It gave me eternal life. We're all of difference, don't you agree? So to some of you, when the word of God is preached and taught, you're going to have two reactions. Offensive, sclerosis, better in mind, or eternal life. So which one described you this morning, dear friend? Answer before the Lord, not me. I'm not interested. I, I can't read your heart. You tell me, I'll just take you at face value and I'm not important. Jesus is. Remember, the key to heaven and hell in his hands alone. He earned it. He earned it by coming down from heaven to die on the cross for your sin. That's why the key to heaven was given to him. If he had not come down from heaven to die on the cross for your sin, rose from the dead for your justification, there'll be no human being in heaven. The key would be useless because you and I can't enter heaven as sinners. You and I have to enter heaven as holy saints, children of God. And that's why Jesus Christ has the key. The Father gave him the key. You earn it, Jesus Christ. You took on flesh and blood to destroy the devil who has the power over death and you can save these sinners by simply for them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart by denying themselves, take up the cross and follow you. And Jesus Christ will definitely open the door for you because he has given us the commandment and the rules that he himself said. If you believe, the door will surely be open to you. Believe with your heart, confess with your mouth and you will be saved. Guaranteed. But you have to believe. Unconditional surrender. No partial, like the disciples who now departed. They followed Jesus for carnal reasons. Jesus exposed it, hoping that they will see the sin in their own life, but they point a finger and blame his hard saying, instead of their own hardened heart. So don't you dare blame the Lord this morning and call it hard saying, because you're going to be the one who will hurt yourself the most. And then Peter continued, we believe. You can too, we believe. They didn't want to believe. So Peter saw the same pearly gate. Believe and you will be saved. He believed and he entered and he looked back. Your ability to believe is a gift of God. And you are sure, and the word are sure describes experiential knowledge. He experienced it in his life. Even when Jesus Christ was walking on earth, that thou art the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. You must know that when Jesus Christ walked on earth, every time you study the gospel, whenever the word believe or faith is used, it is not with reference to his humanity. His humanity was by sight. Whenever the gospel talk about faith, please understand that it is with reference to his deity. You know how difficult it is to believe that this man who stands there that you can see 
He is hungry like me. He is thirsty like me. He is tired and go to sleep like me. But he is God. To believe in this man standing there is God requires a lot of faith. And Peter had it. Now for our context, we believe his humanity and his deity by faith because Jesus Christ is not standing in our midst in the flesh. So please understand, when you study the gospel, humanity by sight, deity by faith. After his ascension, humanity and deity both by faith. That is why their faith was like a yo-yo. One moment when they witnessed the emphasis on Christ's humanity, they were, their faith was challenged. That's why when they were in the storm, when Jesus Christ was sleeping in the ship, and the waves were coming in, and Jesus Christ said, we are going to the other side of Galilee. And Jesus Christ was so at peace, he slept, and the storm came, and they tried to do their utmost to get rid of the water, and some of them were expert fishermen, and they also panicked. And then they woke Jesus Christ, don't you know, Lord, don't you care? We are going to drown, we are going to die. Jesus Christ woke up and said, Oh, ye of no faith in one gospel, oh, ye of little faith. So he said both things. Oh, ye of little faith, that's why in this particular trial, you exercise no faith. I told you that you're going to be on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and I'm with you in the ship. You think the storm can cause it to sink? I am with you. And that's when Jesus Christ, peace, be still. And they got shocked. And they all bowed down. They realize that's the creator in our midst. They now understood his deity. The faith was strengthened. But when they saw the storm, they saw the human Jesus Christ sleeping, they emphasized his humanity, they panicked. All you need is to believe. And the more you study the Bible, the stronger your faith will be. If you don't study the Bible, you believe in what? If all you know is John 3.16, your faith in Christ is so shallow. God gave us 66 books of the amazing Bible. God wants your faith to be deep and strong and anchored in His Word because faith means believe in what God has said. I live my life in the present based upon what I know God has revealed to me in the Scripture. That's faith. The Bible is given for one purpose only, and that is obedience. If you don't obey the Word of God, you can memorize the whole Bible. You can teach and be the best preacher and teacher of God's Word without obedience. God says it's useless, it's vanity. The Bible is given for one reason and one reason only, that is to be believed. That's why the Bible is clear. Without faith, impossible to please God. Anything that is not done in faith is sin. Simple as that. And so Peter says, we believe. Would you be like Peter or the many? And we are sure, we have experienced what it means to believe because the word sure there is sometimes translated as no. And the word no there emphasizes experiential knowledge. They have experienced it in their heart. And they know that this man, you are the Messiah. The Hebrew word for Messiah, is the Greek word is Christ, the anointed one. Another by whom? By God. To be what? The saviour of the world. The son of the living God. The result is now up to you. Your response. To believe or not to believe. The saying is not the problem. It's not hard. It's the hardness of their heart. 
And Jesus Christ showed them how it can be softened. All you need is to believe. But the sad part was, they did not want to. Thank God Peter and the others did. What about you this morning? Are you truly a child of God? Because we are living in the last days. What gospel did you really believe in? The gospel of the Roman Catholic is a gospel that is incomplete. You have to finish and top up your salvation by their sacraments, seven of them, including you must get baptized to be saved. You must take the Lord's Supper to be saved. You must go to church to be saved. And that is anathema. Or the charismatics. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be healthy and wealthy. That is Christianizing carnality, where they make merchandise of the congregation as Paul, or sorry, as Peter, very, very wonderfully revealed to us in 2 Peter chapter 2. You study that chapter, it is an exact warning against charismatism, making merchandise, whether you get the word emporium out of his, their people. That means they want you to come to their church so that they can take money from you, which is exactly what you see. They're false teachers. If your gospel is based upon the charismatic, you have no salvation because you believe in Jesus Christ for carnal reasons like these disciples. For them, it's the miracles. They want to see the miraculous. And so they find this gospel very hard. And so will you too. But the problem is not the hard saying, isn't it? It's your heart. And if you do not accept that, you're going to walk away like them. Not toward heaven, but toward hell. New evangelicals, the most deadly of all, because the more correct they are, the more deadly they are. And they are the ones who say the Bible has mistakes. The God of the Bible makes no mistakes. The God of the new evangelicals make mistakes. Do you think that's the same God? How could that be? Very deadly and very dangerous. You believe in the wrong gospel, the Bible warns us, before the Lord returns, Christianity will fall away and you're living in this brand of Christianity and apostate Christianity. That means if you accept the wrong gospel, that is no salvation. But this morning, you've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it a hard saying? I hope not. It should be the words of eternal life to you. Let us pray. Almighty God, our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, you know our heart. You know whether we regard the gospel as a hard saying or the words of eternal life. To all who are your children, truly, to whom shall we go, O Lord? But thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And thou art the one who has the words of eternal life. And we will never flee from you. We will follow you, O God, unconditionally, surrender our lives to you, even unto the very end. May thou help us, strengthen us, for we are weak, but thou art strong. We pray, O Lord, for some in our midst who may behave and think like the many, 
May thou be merciful, O Lord, to bring conviction and conversion in such a heart that that person may realize and understand that he is not rejecting the word of man, but the very word of God itself. We pray, Father, for thy blessing upon all your people this morning, and as we prepare our hearts and make our way to the campsite, we pray, O Lord, that you will continue to protect us, for we know that it is a spiritual battle that we are heading toward. May thy Holy Spirit keep us safe physically, mentally, and also spiritually, and grant us a blessed and a wonderful camp, so that all campers may be turned, transformed, and through the Word of God and Christian fellowship, may we become more and more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' most precious and holy name, we give thanks and pray. Amen.